Hey everyone, so we taped this on Thursday afternoon. I had John Swartz on um, from Dow Jones, uh, MarketWatch, one of the top tech analysts in the world. Uh, really went through so many topics, including you know Netflix streaming, talked about his experience with Steve Jobs and how um, that really changed the course of his journalistic uh, career, but then also how Silicon Valley has really changed since the days of you know Apple beginning. Um, there's a lot in this podcast. We talk about the stock market, what's going on, um, what to really look out for um, in the future. I'm providing the links and resources to connect with John and learn more about his work and read more about it um, in this description. Uh, as always, thank you to um, all the listeners. Hope you get a lot out of this. And without further ado, John Schwartz. Hey everyone! So we're here. It's a Thursday, uh, mid morning, mid afternoon, however you want to call it. I'm here with um, John Swartz, who is uh, one of the preeminent tech analysts um, in 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 the country. Really, he has covered a ton of stories, um, a ton of different you know angles that are really going to you know help you as the listener get a real clear insight into what's going on, not just in stocks, but in tech, you know, secular trends. We've had, you know, so many different types of topics happen between streaming. And I know the stock market's been going kind of parabolic recently, up one day, down another day, big. So, you know, with Elon going for Twitter, like there's so many different things going on. And so John was the first person I know that came to my mind really to help break all the stuff down. So without further ado, John, thanks for uh, coming on. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me, and thanks for calling me preeminent. Um, I, uh, I'm not used to being called that, so I, I, I'll take whatever I can get. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you really, you really are because you, you've been covering tech for a long time. You're based in the Valley, um, yeah. which, which is is the hotbed. So it really, it really makes you know sense. Like, go. So, so what, what really got you into not just financial media, but like how how did like the valley kind of shape you know your perspective as you started oh, well really so i grew up yeah yeah thanks uh, yeah for bringing that up i um grew up in the valley so i grew up in san jose and my dad worked in the um our disk drive division of ibm for a long time he started a couple of companies and just kind of as a curious aside one of the companies he started up years and years ago was called maxdoor and um he got a, a visit from a couple of guys named steve looking for free equipment. These two guys that he described as looking like hippies who came on off the street. And they were jobs in Wozniak who were just starting up with Apple. So, so I, I would hear these stories and it kind of became imbued in me. And so I was a journalism student in college. And I, you know, back then, it was a long time ago, back in the mid eighties, the, there was a recession going on and I was really, kind of concerned that I would ever work in journalism. A lot of us felt that way as we were graduating. And a friend of mine told me about uh, kind of a small paper. I worked there, went out of business. Then I was back to square one. And eventually what happened was I found out about this trade magazine uh, in the South Bay. And I started writing about computer journalism. Not many people were doing it back then. And so I kind of got into it that way. Excuse me. <laughs> <coughs> excuse me i have a cough now 
<laughs> oh man, all good, all good. But that's that's fascinating. So your dad, he he met Jobs and Wozniak as they set on the journey to create. Apple. Yeah, he he uh, he was dad. My dad was kind of like a fair. Uh, what was the uh, the character? I'm just I'm at a loss for words right now. The character that Tom Hanks played, uh, where he won an Oscar. Um, now I'm, I'm totally tongue tied. It was the uh, the character who kind of walked through history and kept running into. I I know who you're talking. I, I know who you're talking about. The name escapes me as well, <laughs> which is not. So, you know, it's yeah, no, I I usually have pretty good movie knowledge, but um, it, it was basically he was going through these, meeting all these people, right? And and it was it was part of his job. I mean, he loved doing it. He was an engineer, his hardcore engineer. He came across these characters and then I was told that the stories about them and it just kind of got me interested in the topic. Also, it was the industry and it continues to be the industry that defines this region. Like in New York, you have the financial community in Hollywood, Los Angeles, you have the media, Chicago, Midwest was agriculture here with Silicon Valley. So it was growing up all around us. I mean, when I uh, was a kid, we lived around orchards and they're all have been converted to business parks this is something that i saw all the time it was inescapable and i also have to say that a number of the people who were um in the industry were very charismatic they were like the henry fords of this of our area i mean detroit had the auto industry and he had these mythical figures here we had at the same time we had steve jobs we had larry ellison Bill Gates was in Seattle, but he was down here quite a bit. So he was always seen. We had Andy Grove from Intel. There were just a series and series of these, these kind of people with these uh, seismic impact on society and on the economy, as it turns out. So it was something that was you were surrounded by and something that you kind of just ended up doing. Uh, and we got pulled into it. A lot of my friends ended up working in the industry and I started writing about it. Oh, and by the way, it's Forrest Gump. I don't, I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> Forrest Gump, wow. Said, yeah, out, out of, yeah, yeah. Out, of, out, of all, out of all the names we could have forgotten, Forrest Gump was, uh, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, but. Oh, Jack Dorsey is another one. I mean, he's like kind of a latter day, and I know you work for him technically, right? Technically, um, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, he's he kind of reminds me of that that previous era there were so many colorful personalities i don't think that's it's quite the same now as it was before because there's so much more um at risk now the valuations of these companies are in the trillions of dollars there's more at stake politically financially so therefore these are like countries that are run by the ceos who are like the presidents or the prime ministers of these countries so they have to be extremely careful and more circumspect with how they talk and what they say and in their opinions um, back in the day before apple is what it is now was before it is now you could be a little bit more freewheeling or outspoken or in the case of oracle it, it, so it's all the the, the the stakes have been raised and i think now we have people who are a little bit more careful about what to say but back in the day it was in the 80s and 90s it was this incredible fertile time of ideas and outlandish um predictions and i in, in fact it was a lot a lot looser in terms of what you said 
do you think um, the Valley has like really changed a lot in terms of like one of the bigger changes has been just like idea generation. So it's not as like wild and outlandish as it was right. back when you really started covering. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, so that's kind of a, I think that kind of parallels the American business point of view or the, the culture point of view. Remember, I mean, you're much too young to remember this, but I'm, but I'm sure you know, you've read a lot about it. Um, just kind of the mission to the moon, like there were, or the Hoover Dam, there were like these big, big ideas, bold ideas that America was known for and that uh, seeped into the business culture. So like the iPhone announcement back in 2007. So I covered that and I, I remember Jobs only talked to a few, a few reporters that day. I was one of them. And I remember <clears throat> when he was giving me a demo in this huge, huge room behind the uh, stage at uh, Moscone in San Francisco. He's, one of the things he would always do is when he made an announcement, he'd say to you, so what do you think? And he put the onus on you, right? Because he wanted to get feedback. But I also yeah. think he wanted to hear your interpretation of what he had just accomplished. And I remember telling him, my first reaction, my initial reaction is like, this changes everything. Now you have a computer in, in your hand, completely changes the entire dynamic. And he just kind of stood there. He was sitting down actually, but he, was, he sat there and he kind of nodded his head. He goes, huh, maybe. And I you know, classic moment of him with understatement. I mean, he, he well knew what was happening. And I think of that as one of those moments. I think of Musk in Tesla, you know, whatever you think of Musk, the one thing he does is he aims high and he tries to do things big, bold, and colorful. I don't think that's the case really for the most part anymore. Now what we see are, you know, what's the best app for me to park my car for three hours while I go to a concert and somebody takes care of my car and washes it and drives it around or whatever yeah. they do with it. You know, it's just all so incremental and like, and so kind of underwhelming and it's, I know it's more practical and, I, and it, it equates to more in terms of riches and it's much more lucrative to follow that path. But it is a little bit discouraging because you, you do want somebody to swing for the fences occasionally or try something completely new. And it seems as if as the money's become more serious, the ideas have become more conservative and safer and perhaps uh, less inspiring. Well so, so take me back to when, so when Jobs would at, put the onus on you to give feedback and say, so what do you think? What's going through your mind when <laughs> Steve Jobs is asking you that? Because I know if he would have asked me that, I mean, I don't, I don't know what would have raised through my mind. I might not have said anything. It's, it's Steve Jobs, right? So well, like, first of all, right. So yeah, to set it up. So we, I was working at USA Today at the time. And he had a short list of reporters he would talk to after announcements. So he would first talk to the journal, then he would talk to the New York Times. Invariably, it would be USA Today. Then it would be either Newsweek or the LA Times or maybe a TV affiliate. But you were brought into a room by his PR person and it would just be you and him sitting there in this cavernous area with the products in front of you. And I think. I mean, he knew that, he kind of knew what the answer would be because I think leading up to that announcement, we'd all speculated on what it was gonna be. We all had an idea about what it would be. And I remember writing about the significance of what 
a phone would mean to Apple. And so I kind of had a ready-made answer, but then again, I didn't expect him to you know, ask that question. The other thing that he would do that would add to your anxiety is that, you know, he's an intimidating presence. He was very polite, but he could be extremely intense, obviously. And he had a trigger temper. So first of all, you're waiting to, for the interview and invariably he would be late and you'd have to wait. I think in that case, I waited up to two hours for the interview. So in the interim, I write the story about the announcements. This adds to your anxiety, right? Because he yeah. reads everything. So I go into the room and he, he of course, asks, he puts the onus on you. And so I say that and he kind of is like, I'm checking the boxes for him. Like I'm almost being tested. And then one of the things he did that I always will remember this, which is one of the most nerve wracking moments of my life. He said, let's see what people say about the iPhone. So he pulls out the iPhone and he starts looking at the stories. He goes, oh, New York Times, <laughs> Wall Street <laughs> Journal. And he goes, well, let's see what you guys have to say. And I'm thinking, I thank God, I hope they publish this thing. I hope they publish it as soon as possible. So it, it, sh it shows up and he's reading. He goes, okay. And he's nodding his head. Oh, very good. And then he stops and says, wait a second. And, you know, of course I can feel the cold beads of sweat on my forehead. And he goes, this, this caption, this caption's not right. It was a it was a caption. I think it was a wire story, and the caption had something that he didn't like in it. So I said to him, "Well, um, I'm going to um, tell them as soon as possible, and they'll change it." He goes, "Okay, thank you." And so already you feel as if you owe him something. You feel as if um, you've disappointed him somewhat, which plays into his mindset. You know, he's like the the, the master puppeteer. So then the rest of the interview, I, I'm asking him the questions. He's actually, he's actually quite good. Uh, he, he's a good interview, but he stays on topic. He, he won't deviate from anything else. So there's rumors about uh, an iPad. So I asked him about that and he's like, he just kind of dismisses it. And you, you talk about the triumvirate of, of products that they're working on. It was like the Mac back then, the iPhone, and then the, the kind of the tablet or the laptop. So you have the, 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 he's basically slimming down the product line and simplifying it and going to the very small form factor, the medium size, and then the, the desktop. So you're asking about where this is going and he's, he's answering the questions and then the PR person comes over and literally says, hey, thanks for talking to us because your, your time's run out. And I always remember she like grabbed me and like literally like pulled me out the door, like kicked me out of the room. <laughs> and this was, the, this was the drill for talking to him every time. And I think with the exception of one interview, he, rare, he was a very consummate professional. He, he really only lost his cool once when I was interviewing him at Pixar around the time of a bug's life was being announced. Oh. And I, he, took, he took issue with the future direction of the types of movies Pixar would make. I asked him, I, I asked him a question that John Lasseter suggested that I ask. So Lasseter was the Oscar-winning director and the genius behind Pixar. That, Air, that Disney wanted to hire away. And, and I asked, uh, Lasseter suggested, you know, you should ask to see if we would ever consider doing non-G rated movies, like, like venturing into other areas. And I remember asking him that he, Jobs kind of lost his temper. Really? <laughs> so, really? Yeah, so he, he got lost his yeah. He, he, wanted, he wanted to keep all the movies then rated G. So he wanted to make yeah, everything he, like animation, keep it all like that. Yeah, because one of the companies he always admired and and, he openly talked about there were only a few companies you can mention on one hand that he 
admired and Disney of course is one of them. I think uh, Lucasfilm was another, Sony for a while, I think Adobe back when it was a desktop pub publishing pioneer. Uh, those are the companies that he would mention or, you know, and so when you, okay, he talked about Disney, he talked about Fantasia and the works of art they would make. And that's what kind of what Lasseter was wondering is if they would venture into something that was a little bit more provocative or something above family entertainment. And uh, he uh, took um, umbrage to that a, a little bit, but then he came, he came around. I mean, he was uh, he was an interesting character. Um, you know, he was running Apple and Pixar at the same time, and so with Apple, he was completely hands-on. His fingerprints were on everything. Pixar was a little different. I think it was more by committee, and I think there are many times when the executives who worked there, who worked yeah. for him, would convince him that their idea was his idea because his instincts weren't as great they thought at Pixar as they would be at Apple. Yeah. So in a sense, they kind of worked around him, but he didn't quite understand that. I mean, I think they, in a sense, kind of manipulated him as much as you can manipulate a person like him into the right decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Like, it's hard being so great at what you do. Like, I mean, Apple's one of these, like, iconic companies, if not, like, the most iconic company we've yeah. ever seen. And then, obviously, when you had that level of success, you think that can translate, you know, anywhere. So <laughs> movie industry, wherever. So <laughs> I think like, yeah, it's, it's probably like a good thing that they did that. I, I do want to touch on this because um, you brought up earlier that, you know, very few tech CEOs now, people that create these startups, whatnot, um, you know, think so far outside of the box that they're trying to really revolutionize something that's never been done. Right. Or they're trying to create like a whole new category. What was and you brought up Elon Musk's name? What was the first thing that came to your mind when Elon tried to uh, or has put in a bid for Twitter? What was like the first thing that came through your mind when that happened? It, so my initial thought was this does not surprise me because there have been several high profile tech figures who have kind of kicked the tires on Twitter. I think of Mark Benioff at Salesforce. There was a rumor for a while of that. There had been other, there had been talk even at one point that Apple might be interested in, to some extent. So when Musk said that, it didn't entirely surprise me because he as much as he participates on the platform is opinionated, opinionated he is about it. And the fact that Jack Dorsey interviewed him and asked him for advice on stage in an interview. It didn't surprise me. Plus, he's the world's richest man. He has the resources. He has the contacts. I think he's actually has just uh, secured or has talked to the Saudi Arabian investor, Prince Salawid bin Talal, uh, who about teaming up. Wasn't and, he? And wasn't he though against? I thought he was. He against. was. He previously had. He previously was against it. Now he's. Um, talk that he's going to back him. <laughs> that, that's today's <laughs> news. So he's going to back the bid and retain stake after completion of this, of this deal if it ever goes through. So uh, Musk also, I think, detailed uh, $7.2 billion in equity commitment letters, including $1 billion from Ellison. And so, you know, it, it, he changed his mind. He changed the prince's mind. Uh, 
according to the story I saw this morning, and it's on the wire. Uh, I'm not surprised. I initially, I thought there was no chance this would happen, and I said so on a Fox Business segment about a week ago. But this is Musk. I mean, he makes very difficult things possible. He proved that with Tesla. He's proving that with SpaceX and his other ventures. And before, when I thought there was no chance, now I think, I mean, there is a fighting chance. I mean, it's yet to be done, but it didn't surprise me. I mean, this is the one guy that stands out above everyone. You know, when Jobs became sick, uh, more than a decade ago. And there seemed to me to be a number of executives who were lining themselves up as his heir apparent because he influenced them. They want to be compared to him. And some of them ended up spectacularly off, like uh, Elizabeth Holmes. And some just missed, like uh, Marissa Mayer, who was at Yahoo. I think Jack was influenced, is influenced by him, and he's been successful. But I think Musk is the guy who fills those shoes. You know, it's funny too, because I would always get this pushback from Apple about how Musk was kind of a uh, fake fake uh, successor. You know, they, yeah. they downplayed him and dismissed him. And I think that was at a form of kind of reaction of, of protecting the job's legacy, as well as just doubting his his inner resolve. And I, and, and I just, reached a point where I will not discount him or, you know, count him out. It's crazy you bring that up because Musk has been doubted so many times. Like I remember Tesla was supposed to be this crazy, you know, oh, this thing doesn't really have a chance. You know, there's, there's so many things, there's a greater likelihood that they could go bankrupt versus them actually succeeding. That was there really even up until like what, three or four years ago. And then um you even had like articles come out and i don't know if this is factual or not but elon claims he took a meeting with tim cook and tim cook didn't want to buy tesla apple didn't want to go for tesla which now looks like to be if it's true like one of the big probably disastrous decisions that you could possibly think of but the man has been counted out so many times it's hard for me to believe that twitter would not have initially wanted to do this because he yeah i think i think the resistance at twitter is probably from the rank and file i think the employees don't want to be associated with uh musk and his political views and also his plans for twitter i think the idea of opening up the uh, platform to anyone and everyone who's willing to pay for their opinions to be uh megaphoned i think that there's a huge degree of resistance. I think on the board, the board is so dysfunctional at Twitter that um, he was, to his credit, Musk understood that if you if you present even a quasi-respectable offer, it pressures the board to then listen to other offers, and then it accelerates the whole process of the company being sold. Uh, I don't understand quite the value he sees in it. Perhaps he has a plan, and he always does, to monetize it beyond what it's doing because quite frankly its market value hasn't changed in years more than a decade yeah exactly right and the user base is basically the same like 335 million it's always kind of stuck in that one area revenue is okay it's not spectacular 
I mean, it, it needs it needs a jump start. You know, and you compare Twitter with, say, Facebook. So the, the the big difference for me between Facebook and Twitter was that Facebook and Zuckerberg, they weren't afraid to take chances. It's like, okay, we're going to try these features. You may hate them initially, but then they're going to become the most popular features on on the platform. We're going to acquire these companies. We're going to we're going to constantly be adding. We're going to we're going to change our company name and our company strategy. Then you look at Twitter, and it's just like they won't even add an editing button, an edit button to the most basic that's, function, right? That's it's like, crazy. That seems like to me like standard. It's standard social media practice. You, you at least have oh to my have God, yeah. an edit. So, so yeah, there's that disparity between Facebook, which is willing to make a lot of small changes. Some work, some pan out, some don't. Uh, and then you have Twitter, which doesn't make really any changes. And now Musk has come along and said, look, we might uh, add a, sub a subscription service. So if you want a blue check next to your name, we don't care if you have one follower, it's gonna happen. Um, or we're gonna, we're gonna deviate, we're gonna take crypto. And that is, you know, it's probably, I think in the long term for Twitter, it's probably good. Maybe the employees are not happy and we'll see what the content ends up like. But um, again, this guy is probably, he is obviously the heir apparent in the name and the face of tech, whether you like him or not. Does he remind you of Jobs more so than any other person? Probably because he's uh, fearless. He has a plan. He's, uh, he's very good at communicating things over and over again. They might be crazy messages from Musk at least, yeah. but he's consistent and he he has this uh, level of support among, um, I remember some of the people we just mentioned who are willing to help him. Um, so yeah, and he does remind me of him. He also doesn't frankly give a damn what people think of him, which I think is really important. I think it is, he doesn't want to be politically correct. I think Jobs was very political, but he also didn't, he, you know, he just he had that sense of will and sense of purpose. And when someone told him he couldn't do something, it, of, of course, that motivates you even more so. So, um, yeah, there is a, there is a quite a bit of a comparison and comparables between the two. I, I want to do a slight segue here, John, because I know you've covered streaming and you've okay. done some some recent stuff the elephant in the room is netflix netflix came out with what could be a in my mind it, it was not a good quarter obviously like the stock has plummeted ever since um but there there's a question and this is what i want to pose to you do you feel like because all these other competitors and you know like let's say paramount and whatnot have all come out and they've created their own streaming platforms with their own content, basically taking content off of Netflix, putting it onto their yep. own. Do you think we've reached a saturation point in terms of streaming? Because now you're seeing, you know, Netflix losing people, but if those people are going to other platforms, theoretically, you know, there aren't net new, it's basically still stagnant. So do you feel like we've reached a saturation point where streaming has kind of maxed people out. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, you made a really good point. So I was talking to a third-party developer. She's a CEO of a company um, called Invisible Universe. She used to work in Hollywood. She was a producer. And she made 
similar point. Yours, I, I like that your your your, tra your your thought process is interesting because, in a sense, we have kind of reached that saturation point where the people who are using Netflix are moving to some of the other platforms because the content's going to those platforms. And what she was saying, uh, the CEO, was that it's, content's everything, and IP is everything in terms of streaming services. Now, I'll give Netflix its due. Now, they were a pioneer in a field. They helped build and create this whole industry. But they also had the field to themselves. So there were certain things we were willing to overlook when we first signed on to Netflix. For me, it was just the lack of any type of movie library. It's like nothing, like more than 10 years old on there. Yeah. Like no historic, like I want to see The Godfather. Well, I have to go to Paramount to see that. Or I want to see uh, another movie that's rare. When I looked at Netflix, I couldn't find any of this. All I could find were their releases and then, then they took off. So when you fast forward to where they are now, they had the field to themselves until Disney, Apple, HBO Max, uh, Amazon was already there, but you know Paramount. They all they all come along. They all have really good content. So this is this creates a problem for the consumer. The consumer who's subscribed to Netflix wants to watch Disney Plus because their kids want it, or those who um, want to see HBO Max has got some really really good shows on it. Or you want to go to Paramount to see the, the, the library, or you want to go to uh, Peacock, which has a really good library of, of TV and movies. So you're kind of set in this, you have this quandary. You're like, do I, do I pay for all these services at the same time, or do I just hop and churn among them? Yeah. Do I you know, watch Netflix uh, for a certain series and then wait until it's over and then I drop it and then go to Disney and then hopscotch around? And I think Netflix has really run into that problem. Plus it's also run into a problem where with inflation and with concerns about the economy, people are cutting back. So the mm -hmm. first things they're gonna do is they're gonna cut back on unnecessary extra spending. And that's where Netflix kind of takes it, takes a hit. Uh, it's no different than somebody cutting back on their um, uh, consumption of, of or buying of gas or meat when the prices yeah. go up, right? So they're one of the first victims. And I think what also is hurting them is that they backload their content. So their best content is usually at the end of the year, yeah. like a classic Hollywood studio. So the first couple quarters of the year, it's not, it's not very good. I mean, no. it's pretty, pretty thin. So why would you... Plus they raise their price. That's another thing. So what do you do? Do you, do you stick with that or do you just give it a break, go on hiatus and then come, loop back and come back in the fall to Netflix? And I think that's what's happening to them. Yeah. Another big problem that they're facing and someone, someone said this, it might've been on the radio, might've been another podcast I was listening to, but what Netflix does is they release like, for instance, selling sunset, let's say just comes out. Right. And it's a very popular show on the platform. They release the whole season. People go in and binge watch it. They binge it and they get out, right? They get out and you don't, and let's say like there's nothing else appetizing for you on there until the backloaded content comes on. You don't really need it for six or seven months. Right. You maximize your, your time. You, you, right. Exactly. That's, and that's what's happening to them. It also seems like it takes them an inordinate amount of time to come up with the next season of, of certain series like, uh, like I want the next season of, you know, fill in the blank and it, it, their turnaround on production seems slower than the other studios. Maybe that's my imagination, but 
it seems as if there's kind of a, like long gaps of waiting there. Yeah. Before they were blaming COVID. Now you can't do that. I also think there's a TikTok influence. So really, net. So yeah. So Netflix, it, it, it's like a studio, right? They they spend seventeen billion dollars on content this year at least. So they go to the best people, showrunners, producers, etc., and they they decide, okay, this is what you, the viewer, are going to watch. We're going to tell you what you're going to see, and you say, okay, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to uh, trust what they they present to me. TikTok is all is completely different, especially among the younger view, viewers. I mean, the younger viewers are involved in the creation of the content and have a sense of ownership in the content, and then it becomes popular among what what they create. And it, with Netflix, it's just it's kind of the opposite. It's like the old Hollywood way, and now in this digital age, creation of content, especially in, among the younger demographic, is it kind of starts kind of germinates online and builds into something. And, and Netflix doesn't do that. I wish they would do that. And maybe they will. I mean, they're, they're going to change a lot of things there. They are going to probably institute an ad-based model so you can get it at a cheaper price. Yeah. They're probably they're going to crack down on multiple shared accounts. I know they are already. Uh, they're probably, they're getting into gaming. So then maybe that's where the content. What does that mean that they're getting into gaming? Oh, so you're going to be able to subscribe to and play games on their on their platform. So they've been working on this for at least a year, maybe two, and they are moving along. They're making acquisitions. They're going to have gaming content on Netflix, and they have not ruled out the possibility of sporting events, which is another thing they've avoided. Uh, but I think now with Apple, with Major League Baseball, and then Amazon with the NFL. That's one of the few things people are willing to pay for to watch yeah. sports. And I, they, they didn't say they would do it, but they didn't discount the idea of doing it during their conference call. That conference call during their, their last earnings report, which was not very good, uh, that call gave me the impression that they were open to anything that would help bring back subscribers. And, and, and in fairness to them, they, had a, uh, they lost 200,000 subscribers quarter to quarter. 700,000 were in Russia and they suspended operations there. So, okay. you know, if not for that, they would have come out ahead. But still, um, we're talking about a company that was at, adding 8 million net ads, yeah. you know, per quarter. And now it's gone back to zero. And that was, I mean, the first time in a decade they hadn't grown their subscriber numbers. How, how in trouble are they? Because I think it's more too like a secular trend that we're seeing because yeah. like, I know they're not a streaming company, but like Shopify reported earnings today. Etsy reported earnings. Like all these different companies are reporting earnings and they're showing that because of COVID, they had such a spike in terms of, you know, people subscribing to their services, people using them, people, you know, streaming, whatnot. And now that, you know, it seems like we've, you know, come out of that and people are going back to really doing whatever they wanted to. The, there's not really a use as much for these types of platforms, but specifically for like yeah. Netflix, like how in trouble are they? Well, you know, it's funny. There's a number, I think it was Deloitte came out with some numbers and they were, some of them were pretty discouraging. It's like 43% of US online adults use a streaming service or concerned with how much they pay for it. 
So they're going to make choices and they're going to winnow them down. And the thing about Netflix is it tries to be everything for everybody. It always has been. And I think this is a problem that happened with cable TV. You know, back in, t back in the day, cable TV first had these uh, channels that were tried to do the same thing. They tried to be everything for everybody, which kind of created this subscriber fatigue. Like there are all these monoliths competing. And so you would start, you'd start picking and choosing which channels you wanted to watch. And like, I think me and you, like most people would choose the channels based on our particular interests. So they would be focused. And I think while Netflix in this era is kind of trying to be everything, you've got Disney, which is family focused. You've got Fubo, which is sports focused. And then you, I think, uh, like, is it uh, Hulu does the true crime? You know, it's it's uh, Apple does the prestige programming, right? They they win the Oscar for best picture for Coda. There's this kind of thought that you know you go to a specialized channel. You don't use everything. You you decide you're going to winnow down your me menu of what you want to watch. And I think they kind of find themselves in that position where they don't have compelling content right now. They, 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 they created the industry and the model, but they don't have a specialized focus or area. I mean, it's quality programming, but it's wildly inconsistent at the same time. You know, they do a lot of stuff that's not that particularly good. Um, so they kind of find themselves, that, then you have a bunch of uh, consumers who are cutting back on their use yeah. and being more discerning. I think it happens I think Netflix kind of didn't evolve entirely or as quickly as it should have. And that's so easy for me to say, second guessing them. But that's a problem that a lot of companies run into, right? You become big and profitable doing one thing. I think of Microsoft back in the day. Yeah. And then something like the internet comes along and you kind of miss out on it for a while. Or when your Facebook uh, mobile takes off and you, you kind of miss it for a while. It's hard to maintain what you do best and then take these risks or side bets into other areas that are emerging. Like you have to, you have to not only be plowing forward with what you do best, but then anticipating where the market's gonna be in five years and then making the necessary investments in that area and then trying to hit, hit the landing at the same time. It's, it's really hard. So, you know, it's inevitable. Um, they're still the biggest. I mean, the, what, 220 million or so subscribers. Yeah. You know, uh, Disney is going to probably catch them in a couple of years, but there's, you know, Disney's a little bit more than half of that. So, you know, give Netflix its proper due, but it's a cautionary tale, right? Of, of just kind of sitting, just, just kind of being top heavy and kind of becoming more like a studio than perhaps others. And they're, they're yeah. the, the, you know, the demographics, especially among younger viewers, is just they are attracted to TikTok, and that's not in, just impacting places like Netflix, but Meta talks about it all the time. Snap talks about it. I'm sure Twitter does. Apple, you know, it's just it's uh, something that they are as older companies are going to have a harder time adapting than the younger upstarts. It's crazy because they were the poster child for being, you know, doing it differently. They they eliminated the way you would go watch movies or you know rent whatever it was right. you know 
they they eliminated that way. They changed it completely. They created a new category, and now they've been caught flat-footed. In which exactly. Disney, I remember like people would talk about oh competition, and you would look at the subscriber numbers, and you say oh it's you know not even close. Like I mean these other companies are gaining you know some traction, but the subscriber mode is just so large for Netflix. And I think that was even what three quarters ago. It wasn't even that long ago. You would say that, and all of a sudden now. You're saying in two years, Disney's yeah. going to Yeah, overtake. no, Disney had that ambitious goal by the end of 2024. And the, the rate they're growing and, and where Netflix is going. And Netflix actually offered um, guidance for this current quarter, which was not great either. It's going to be... Um, Negative two million, kind of right? Yeah, it's going to be... It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be an acceleration, as you said. And you put it well. I mean, in a sense... They're not just not adding users, they're losing users to the other services. And I don't know if that changes, if they reverse it by the last quarter of the year. If they don't, they're really in trouble. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, you watch these meetings. That, now they, they do a webcast or a, a YouTube video of their earnings call. And they, they reversed almost every one of their positions in this last earnings call. You know, before it was like, no way, we're not going to have advertising. We don't need to do that. Sporting events, forget it. Uh, you know, we know there are people sharing our accounts, but we're fine. We're doing great. And that all changed. And that's a sign to me that they were, they were somewhat in shock about what yeah. happened and where they're going. And I think that was kind of a coming to Jesus moments for them. Yeah. Uh, and it's again, it's like that cautionary tale. You become famous doing one thing. And I another example that I think of is Oracle and Oracle in the cloud, right? How Larry Ellison dismissed the cloud for so long until the until they were overwhelmed by what Amazon was doing and Google and Microsoft. And the same thing with Microsoft when Steve Ballmer was in charge, how he dismissed the iPhone is like that'll never happen. That's not gonna gain any, that's not gonna gain any traction. Like there's all these moments where there are those who decide to go forward and try something different and make a calculated risk. And then there are others who totally dismiss it and then don't want anyone to bring that up again. I know uh, Michael Dell thought the iPhone was a total loser idea. And it's like these the same folks never want us to bring up the, what they had said before about this because it sullies or tarnishes yeah. their, their visionary status. That's that's crazy and then now microsoft's their uh you know for microsoft specifically i think what their greatest amount of revenue comes directly from software sir yeah. so it's uh, under <laughs> nadella it's like completely changed oh, but... changed everything i know i mean if you think of like um you know i give th throw props to him because if we want to think of musk as like the the next jobs or the visionary you should think of nadella as like performing this incredible resuscitation of, of a company that was doing well, but I mean, the job he's done at Microsoft is like the gold standard, I think, among tech CEOs. I mean, you should put, I guess you should put Tim Cook in that category, but when I think of Apple, I think of just, they, he kind of inherited this, inherited this juggernaut and he's done a really good job about keeping the motor running and keeping it moving full speed ahead, but it's, that's one thing versus what Nadella did, which was completely reinvent Microsoft, not just product-wise, but culturally. I mean, it was just a phenomenal achievement. It's incredible. Um, 
so John, I know that you've got some earnings stories coming out I here. Do. Yelp is coming up. Yeah, Yelp is coming up. Um, so this is what we're going to leave on here. Before, obviously, you give everyone how they can follow you, read all of your you know, content and whatnot. What, what are we to make of what's going on with these companies, earnings, oh, yeah. the stock market? It seems like the NASDAQ suffers a new low every single day. At the time yep. this podcast started taping here, I wrote down on my big whiteboard. We have the NASDAQ was down five, over 5%. I think it came back a little bit, but that's not really saying too much when you're down that much. And then the Dow was down, it was all at one point, 1,100 points or like three and a half percent. So like, what are we to make of, of what's going on? Well, there are a lot of things going on that are not good signs, right? We've got inflation. We've got fears of a recession. We have the stock market not performing well. We've got the um, supply chain problem, which is still dogging most of the companies like we cover in tech. We have the geopolitical risk and the impact of the war in Europe, which is hurting that market. So you get all these factors are being mentioned by every company in every earnings report, and specifically among um, the bigger, larger companies that are in in effect dependent on on hardware. Uh, So without, with few exceptions, that was the story of the last quarter and the story of the current quarter. Also, I would not discount the impact of the quote unquote post COVID. And I shouldn't say that because we're probably gonna have another surge. We're in the midst of one already, uh, BA2. But places like Netflix and Meta and Google, they all benefited greatly from the lockdown yeah. and from the pandemic. And, and you know, in fairness to Netflix, they said, that they couldn't possibly maintain their growth once people started getting out and stopped you know, watching movies around the clock at home. They knew that that time was coming. Maybe it's just a little bit more harsh than they expected. But I think that that COVID impact, had, that, that, that boosted a lot of stocks. Like I think of Zoom and I think of PayPal. I think of a lot of these, these stocks that have Twilio, which have since been hammered as a correctional phase. Yeah. So I think these these things are all in motion, and I think the biggest concern probably is is inflation and, and belt tightening among consumers and corporations. So it's also probably part correctional. All these companies were completely overvalued, uh, and so um, yeah, it's a rough patch though. And I by, what concerns me is that it seems to be extended an extended rough patch. Like, as you say, every day it seems to hit a new low and it kind of is like this self-fulfilling prophecy. And despite changes by the Fed yesterday, it didn't seem to have much impact. That scares me. And I'm also hearing murmurs like this great resignation, great rehiring phase is probably going to be over in six months. Yeah. But things are going to cool down. And I think we perhaps are heading towards a, a, I hope I'm wrong, but like a recession by the end of the year or early next year. And I saw when you bring that point up, saw F- Ari Levy um, posted this article from CNBC. He posted that Facebook plans to, you know, stall their hiring on like senior level people. And that, you know, if Facebook's curbing their hiring now, it really right. leads to what you're saying. Like, well, you know, this super hot labor market all of a sudden is just going to stall out. Yeah, yeah. You know, also didn't uh, Netflix just laid off a bunch of people they had hired right after their earnings report? 
And so you're right, there was this kind of hyperventilated, super hot job market. And I just don't see it, as you mentioned with Facebook, yeah. I just don't see that sustainable given what they're announcing. I mean, the guidance for all of these companies is, is on the low side, every one of them. Uh, so that leads me to believe that they are going to, if not impose a hiring freeze, then have some sort of cutbacks. Well, awesome insight, John. Where can everyone read, um, you know, your work, view, oh, everything? Uh, yeah, let's. Uh, where can everyone? Well, um, I'm at, on Twitter. If you still use Twitter, it's J S W A R T Z. Um, um, Market Watch, which is just MarketWatch.com, is where most of my stories are. Um, and let's see what else. I'm on LinkedIn, but you don't want to go there. Um, <laughs> you don't want to read about my resume. Who cares? Uh, so I basically, I, yeah, probably that's probably the best ideas. Um, but I thank you for for asking me so many great questions and um, kind of making me think about how I cover things and about history because you made me kind of look back and and, and think going forward. Um, you know, one thing I. I I think it should probably look at is, is kind of these parallels in history between what's happening now and what's happened before, uh, especially with Netflix. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. It's going through that whole subscriber fatigue era that cable TV had, and then yeah. uh, traditional TV. It's going through that, the same focus, same, same pitfalls. So anyways, thought provoking on your part. <laughs> Incredible. Well, John, Thank you so much. I know our listeners are going to really love this. We got a lot out of it. We kind of weaved our way through lots. Yeah, that's different... why. That's the best way to do things. Yeah. Yeah. And so awesome. We will post this uh, later tonight. John, thank you. Thanks, Karthik. I really appreciate it.